Welcome to the Good Old Days of Radio Show. This is John Tefteller, your host. It's Thursday, and we are well into our salute to one of the greatest radio drama series of all time, Suspense. Uh, we've played a lot of Suspense, but we have a special series. There's so many good ones and so many different types of good ones. Uh, we have a special series for the next few weeks with our special guest, Dr. Joe Webb, the author of the book, The Suspense Companion, uh, available on Amazon, of course, and probably other places too. Um, anyway, um, we have a very unusual episode of Suspense for you today. The background of this, as far as I'm concerned, is very strange as well. Um, I um, actually had had this sitting in my archives for a while. My memory is that I bought it on eBay, the original transcription disc, I had no idea it was a lost show. Never occurred to me. I never even played the disc. I just got it because, okay, here's the suspense. It's one I don't have. Okay, it's an Armed Forces Radio 16-inch transcription. I'll buy it. That's just how nutty I am. So I bought it. I put it in my, in my stacks of transcriptions. And uh, Jerry Hendigas um, did me a gigantic favor in helping me out with my Marx Brothers project, which some of you know what it's about, but anyway, I'm doing a project with the cooperation of the Marx Brothers Estates to release all the Marx Brothers radio material from the 1930s onward. And Jerry Hendigas helped me greatly with that, and I asked him if there was anything I could do for him, and he said, well, if you have a, anything uh, new, unusual, or different, uh, yeah, uh, go ahead and uh, send it my way. So I went down to Los Angeles a year or so ago, and I brought him a little stack of transcription discs, and one of them was this episode of Suspense. And I, I left it there. I didn't say anything about it because I didn't think it was anything special particularly. Well, Jerry called me a few days later and said, wow, that was an interesting program you left here, this, this Suspense show. Um, it, it's apparently one of the missing ones, and it's really unusual. And I'm like, okay, well, good. Glad I could help you out. So anyway, Dr. Joe Webb, here we go. Tell us about Fury and Sound, which is the episode of the day. Well, I, I remember getting an email from Jerry saying, do you know anything about this episode? Because it's really strange. And I said, yes, I do. I had seen a script of, of this episode and I had read about it. And it was also in Suspense Magazine. They, they had, um, there was a four issue Suspense Magazine, uh, I think from 1948 to 1949. And this was one of the stories in it. So when I was trying to do research on missing suspense episodes, I had a chance to read the short stories. And this is kind of weird. And as I researched more and more, uh, this was broadcast in July 26, uh, 1945. I found a reference to it in a March issue of Variety, with teasing the show. I mean, it's it's almost four four months away from the show being on the air, and uh, their tease read: "If you happen to latch onto suspense in the next few weeks, and the title sheet reads Fury and Sound." Figure, if you can, who the character Rochler is. Story by some well-known radio writers deals with the death of, by sound effects of a composite of four geniuses of big-time radio. Well, who are these four geniuses, and how do you kill somebody with sound effects? Well, we'll leave that part 
to uh, the listening of, of the program. But the geniuses uh, were William Spear, who was the director producer, uh, Irving Reese, who worked uh, on uh, Columbia Workshop in developing numerous uh, production techniques and staging techniques uh, for, for radio and, and technology and, and writing and the like. And Lawrence and Lee, who were writers, Jerome Lawrence and Robert E. Lee, uh, one of the things that they're credited with is the Broadway play Inherit the Wind. Uh, but they were writers for, for radio and they all knew Spear. Spear was kind of a prodigy in the 19. 30s and the early 1940s in the industry. And these were people whom Spear learned from. So if if it's not really four geniuses of big time radio, it's three geniuses roasting William Spear, who had a reputation for being really, really difficult uh, to work with and full of himself. But actually, people who did work with him always commented how much they they loved doing that. So so uh, the play plays into the caricature of of William Spear, who is this uh, this hated producer named Rochler is the is the last name, and uh, he he refers to himself by his last name only. So. Uh, if you're it's like um you're going to to disagree with Rochler, you know, that he's always this 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 big guy uh in it. And um it's strange when you listen to it for the first time because you don't really know what's going on. And as I started to research it more and more, you realize this is a satire, not just about William Spear, but about all producers who are full of themselves and how they drive the people who work for them crazy yeah this is this is when i heard this and i actually heard this for the first time uh when in preparation for the show as i say i I bought the transcription disc just because that's what i do um but i never played it because i'm too darn busy doing too many other things uh so i listened to this the other day and i'm like this is this is like if you if you tuned into this in 1945 and you weren't in radio, you probably wondered, what in the world am I listening to? What is right. this? Um, and so I'm, I don't think we should say a whole lot more. I think we've teased it enough. I think we should actually let our listeners listen to this, and then we'll kind of uh, explain, okay. explain it all at the end, unless you have something else you want to say before we play but, it. Uh, there's, they play some games with, with the identities of some of the actors. We can go into that after, because I think it's funnier after you hear it. Right. But, but the lead role is played by Norman Lloyd, who was a favorite of Hitchcock and who only passed away at, I think, age 105, what, two or three uh, years ago. Yes, that's correct. But, but Lloyd was uh, a extremely well-known actor at this time and uh, loved by Hitchcock, but also a stage actor and a, uh, had been a radio actor at some point. So um, he is in the lead. And um, it's it's very, very interesting how he plays it. And um, also, you're going to hear them do caricatures of other actors. Uh, like, I don't know if you've heard this, but people seem to feel that Orson Welles was full of himself. Did, have oh, you yeah. ever heard that? Sure. <laughs> so Norman Lloyd at some times almost sounds like one of Welles's famous tantrums. Now he and Welles <laughs> were, were very good, good friends. So, so listen for those kinds of things because the, the uh, part of the tie here is that William Spear was 
um, called the Hitchcock of radio. So we have a little Hitchcock uh, stuff uh, going on here. Right. Well, and um, this is we'll a- save some of those other things and the reaction to this story uh, for right after people hear it. Sure. But stick with it and listen to how they kill somebody with sound effects. <laughs> yeah, this, this is about as far into the weeds as I think any radio program ever went, uh, gi- giving a whole lot of things that you just wouldn't expect to hear on network radio in 1945 or even even now. I don't know. Do, do something like this now would have to be some kind of weird HBO special or something anyway. <laughs> uh, okay. From July 26, 1945, probably, in fact, definitely, the single most unusually strange episode of suspense you are ever going to hear. And it was a lost one until not that long ago. Wall Star Radio Cast, headed by Norman Lloyd and Mark Humboldt, in Fury and Sound. A suspense play produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. You helped murder Kingsley Rochler. You, sitting there by your radio, you were guilty. Your contribution to the crime was unintentional, but it was murder nevertheless. Because you fed his ego until it destroyed him. You all remember the name. Kingsley Rochler. He was famous for his radio plays. They were on the air once a week for years. He was a small, ugly man who affected a beard. During the last few months of his life, I was closer to Kingsley Rochler than any other man. I knew every twist of his warped intelligence, for I assisted him in producing his radio broadcasts. It was I who stood in the center of the radio studio and relayed Mr. Rochler's instructions to the actors, the musicians, and sound technicians. Rochler would sit in the glass-enclosed control booth. His harsh voice, picked up by the rehearsal microphone and amplified to the proportion of a god's, would thunder at the cast in the studio, lashing them... No, 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 no! Let's take it again! I'm at top of page seven. This is the final time Rochler will explain what he wants. He asked the extras for tender ad-libs, not the circus Maximus. Rutschler would also like to remind the sound effects man, for the seventh time he might add, that he wishes the rain effect to sneak in after the music bridge, not crash in. And with the maestro, please explain to his musicians that pianissimo means softly. Now, unless it interferes with anyone's more important plans, may Rutschler proceed with his rehearsal. Ad-libs, please. Then music. Then ring, then dear diary. Goodbye. Send me a card from Germany. Dear diary, how can I tell you what my heart cannot say? It's raining now as though the heavens too are crying. And he's been gone again. Ah, how many years are there in a day of loneliness? with insensitive asses in many places and under many conditions, but he is forced to yield top honors to the radio artists of California. 
How can this girl perform these sensitive thoughts against your noise and indifference? How can these fragile dreams achieved by nights of creative sweat compete with your gum-chewing, chair-creaking, walking-talking, thick-skinned detachment? How can the thematic music... I'm sorry, King, it was my fault. I tried to adjust the music stand and give the cues at the same time. The assistant producer, Mr. Fowler, honorably confesses. Roachler has employed him for three years. His principal function is to relay my signals to you. He watches Roachler carefully, and when Roachler moves his arm thus, he moves his similarly to you. In its highest sense, he is an extension of Roachler's arm. All right. We'll break for dinner now, and anybody, including Mr. Fowler, who feels that Roachler's work, which seems to interest a mere 14 million listeners, is too dull to warrant his or her entire attention... Let me pay off now. Thank you. That was the pattern of my life for three years. I was Fowler the Stooge, a carbon copy of a self-styled genius. No one could have much respect for me, least of all myself or my wife. How did my performance sound, Charlie? All right, I guess. You guess? Well, it seemed a little corny to me. It didn't seem corny to King. Of course, he only gets 2000 a week for running the show. Well, if Roachler thinks you're the greatest actress in the world, just stick to his judgment and everything will be peaceful. In the five years I've been married to you, I've seen every facet in your fine art of being disagreeable. But I must say, jealousy is a new wrinkle. Fine, let it go at that. Oh, no, no, I wouldn't think of depriving you of some fuel to feed it. Would it make you more jealous to know that I'm having dinner with Kingsley to discuss my performance? See you later, dear. Aren't you going out to eat, Charlie? No, thanks, Van. I've got to mark up these scripts. Why, you can't live without eating. Here, I'll split a sandwich with you. <laughs> thanks. I've sort of given up food since I've been working for Roachler. Boy, you got it tough. He's even got you and your wife living with him out there, hasn't he? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> hey, did you notice how I fixed him on the rain effect? Rain effect? How? Well, after he bawled me out for the fifth time about the effect being too loud, I just let one bridge go by, and I didn't even put the needle down on the record. He yelled it was still too loud. <laughs> that sounds impossible. No, I watched a lot of these boy wonders. He's got the occupational affliction of radio genius. Newspaper men get the shakes, movie producers get ulcers, bank presidents have nervous breakdowns. The killer cycle wonder boys get open nerves in their eardrums. What do you mean? Hearing things that aren't there? Yeah, if you hang around this racket long enough. I read somewhere once that if our hearing sensitivity was increased just 10%, we'd all go nuts. Yeah, look, take my clock chime. You know the effect. Yeah. So what? Now see what happens. What's the gimmick? This? Haven't you ever seen one? Contact mic. Yeah? Look, press this little contact mic against the side of our clock chime, like so. Now, turn up the volume on the amplifier, will you, Charlie? This one? Yeah, a little more. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Now, guys like Roachler live in a world of sound. It's their bread and butter. Mr. R gets two grand a week for sitting in that glass fishbowl and just listening, weighing sounds. His ears are his stock and trade. The nerve ends and his eardrums get more and more sensitive. When his hearing becomes as acute as this contact, Mikey can't stand it. And in come four men wearing white coats for a gibbering idiot. A contact, Mike, huh? Why do you get one of these things? I built this rig myself. See? That's the works. Yeah. 
Pretty neat. I stood in the vacant studio, staring at that tiny black contact microphone in the palm of my hand. And a little Shakespeare flashed into my mind. A tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury. So good night. Good night, my love. Good night across the latitudes and longitudes of space and time. Farewell across the hours and days. The mountain peaks and the plains between. The darkness and the sun. You are with me here. Because love is... You have just heard another original by Roachler in the series Roachler Presents. It was produced, written, and directed by Mr. Roachler, who also suggested the musical theme. Next week, Mr. Roachler, acclaimed as the most imaginative dramatist in radio, will... Ah, but let radio's foremost producer tell you about it. Kingsley Roachler. Uh, Roachler speaking. Uh, next week, Roachler's fans will hear a vivid contrast to tonight's romantic theme. It's a drama fraught with social significance titled Farewell to Apes. It poses a subtle political problem. What would happen if an ape proclaimed himself dictator of a nation? Those who listen very attentively will recognize certain modern historical parallels. Until next week, then, Rochler says, Good night. And Rochler will be pleased if you return to hear another Rochler Presents. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. It was one of the most impressive shows of the series, in my opinion. Don't you think so, Charlie? You should know. It would have been a much more polished production if you hadn't botched up the music cues. In three places, they were distinctly sluggish. I told you a thousand times, Charlie, if you watch me... Save it. I'm through. Through what? I'm through being your whipping post. You better find yourself a newer model. Charlie! I can't believe it. No. No, you, you didn't say it. No, I, I've erased it from my mind. Well, scribble it right back. I'm finished. Charlie, I bleed. I can understand when these adults, these actors, soundmen, fiddlers, mistake the tension of my sensitivity, these, these little moods brought on by the lashing of creative fire. But you, an artist, almost. In your own right, how, how can you let a little turbulence... Sorry, I kept you two waiting. What's all this glaring about? Charlie wants to quit the show. Oh, he's just tired. Don't mind him. He'll forget it in the morning. <laughs> Come on, King. Let's go get some coffee. And then suddenly I had decided. There was no longer any question, any hesitation. I had tested the mechanics of the thing and it worked. The rest lay entirely within me, my own courage and patience. And above all, the slowness with which I could do the work. Slowness was all important. Slowness. Oh, that was wonderful. Thank you very much. 
Charlie. I didn't hear you come in. Didn't you? Welcome home, Charles, my boy. I always say a husband's place is in the home. Having a good time? Kingsley was just reading me some of his script for next week. I was helping him edit it. She has some very decent ideas, Charlie. Mm, well, I'm glad to know that. Good night. Good night, good night. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Oh. <laughs> good night, King. Come on, Merle, let's get to bed. We both need some sleep. Of course you know, darling, it's impossible to sleep with you. You twist and turn like a gyroscope. I saw a doctor tonight. He gave me some sleeping powders. Can I give you some, a glass of hot water? All right. I filled two glasses with hot water. Into one of them, I dissolved a heavy dosage of the sleeping powders. Not fatal, but enough to ensure deep sleep. And I didn't turn the faucet clear off. I let it drip, just a little. Drink up. Here's two. I was pleased to see that she drank the entire glass. And we got ready for bed, and I snapped off the light. Can't you learn to turn off a faucet? The tap leaks. It won't turn off. Oh. Oh, well. <gasps> From her breathing, I thought she'd fallen asleep, but I had to be sure. Merle? There was no answer. I got up and went into the bathroom, taking with me the contact microphone I'd borrowed from Van at the studio. Carefully, I fastened this sound microscope to the water tap and adjusted the amplifier so that the sound grew in volume, slowly, very, very slowly. King. Did you hear that noise? What noise? Well, you must have heard of that, that dripping sound. Maybe a leaky faucet in one of the bathrooms. But it sounded almost like explosions. The sound filled the whole house. I didn't hear anything. Merle's still asleep. It didn't wake her. But I heard it as loud as if... There wasn't any noise. Don't tell me what I heard and what I didn't hear. I say there was a noise. Well, call your own shots, but I didn't hear anything. Maybe I was dreaming. Yes. Yes, that, that must be what it was, a dream. Good night, King. Good night. Good night. Good night. What's the matter? Come here, into my room. Okay, I'm coming. I suppose you got another brainstorm for the show. All right, let's have it. Charlie, it's the same thing I had trouble with a few nights ago. You heard the noise, of course. Are you hearing noises again? Don't tell me you slept through that. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going back to bed. Don't leave. Rootsler demands that you remain here. He does? Please, Charlie. I, I don't mean to shout at you. I... I must be getting a little nervous, a little bit jumpy. Tell me, Charlie, didn't you hear a buzzing sound, something like a mosquito, only louder, enormously louder? <laughs> You'd better switch your brand, King. You didn't hear it? Not a tinkle. You're deaf. Merle, she must have heard it. She's sleeping like a baby. But I heard it. I was standing here in this room, wide awake. It vibrated the walls of the house. Get, get dressed and back the car, Charlie. I'm going to see a doctor. You think that's why? The doctor ought to be able to do something. Sure, he'll do something. I wonder if you'll like what he does. What do you mean? I've wondered sometimes what would happen to a man if his hearing became too sensitive. If he heard too much, 
I don't suppose he'd ever be able to find rest or quiet. Eventually, he'd blow his top. I do have very sensitive hearing. I must have to achieve perfect sound balance on the broadcast. Sure. You're even hearing things that aren't there. I wonder how long you'd have a sponsor if the lads who pay your salary knew the shape you're in. I'm in perfect shape. I've been working too hard, that's all. I just need a little rest. I'll get the car and drive you out to the hospital. No! No. I think I'll be all right now. Go on back to bed, Jelly. Whatever you say, you're the doctor. The next night, I did a little production with traffic sounds for the benefit of the great Roachler. I sat in my room, turning the volume knob slowly, ever so slowly. King? Would you come into my room a second? I'd like to talk to you. Okay. What's on your mind? I, uh, I've got a terrific idea for next week's show, Charlie. See if it tweaks you. Shoot. There's this girl, French. Mm -hmm. She's escaped from the Nazis, and... Charlie, how far are we from a main thoroughfare? Sunset Boulevard? Mm. That's about five miles down the hill, I guess. We couldn't hear traffic from that distance, could we? I couldn't. Yeah. Well, well, this girl's a painter and she falls in love with... <laughs> you know, Charlie, I, I, I get these ideas in the middle of the night like this and I, I like to talk them out before I forget them. Why? Why don't you bunk in here with me for a while? Well, seems sort of silly. Stay with me, please, Charlie. It's terribly important. Roachla needs you. I need... I knew then that the breaking point was near. As I watched him at rehearsals, I could see the psychosis gradually engulfing him. No, 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 no! I've told you at least 11 times, Mr. Gluskin, to mute the brass. And everybody quiet. Rootsler insists on quiet, complete quiet. Will you please stop your insufferable scuffling and scraping and babbling until called upon to make the required sound? Maybe he'd like to have us quit breathing. The actor who made that statement is discharged from the cast without pay. Roachler will not tolerate insubordination. King, you can't let Lewis go. You have to have him for the operating room scene. May I remind you that Roachler is directing. No one artist or performer is indispensable. We can replace anyone at any Take him home. Out to my house. Now, don't worry about the show, King. I'll take over. Got to hand it to you, Charlie. You didn't louse up the broadcast as much as I thought you would. Thanks. How is he? Resting in his room. Oh, it's been a rough day. How about a sleeping powder just to make sure we get our rest? The usual? No, I don't think so. I've been waking up a little bit foggy. You will take the usual sleeping powder tonight. It's very important to me. Charlie, I don't understand you when you act this way. You will drink the usual sleeping powder. forced her to take the sleeping powder. I had to make sure she was thoroughly drugged. For tonight, Merle was to be part of the plan. 
When she was deep in sleep, I carefully slipped the contact microphone underneath her body so that the metal lay within a few inches of her heart. beside you. Make what stop? That's robbing you. Hear it. It's, it's heartbeats and breathing. You must hear it. Your imagination's working overtime. I can't stand it. Charlie, make it stop, Charlie. What can I do? I gotta get away from it. I gotta have quiet peace. I can't stand it any longer. Make it stop, Charlie. I watched him stop. stagger stop out it, of the stop bedroom. It, stop, stop. Down the stairs to his study. I heard a drawer pulled open. From here on, Fowler produces. What was that? Nothing, darling. I can hear noise in the room, like, like drum beats. I'll turn it off, dear, so you won't hear it any longer. I stepped to the amplifier to shut off the heartbeats from the contact microphone. I flipped the switch. But the sound continued. It kept on going. I turned the switch again, and again. Still, I heard the heartbeats, louder than before. Thank you, dear. That's better. What do you mean, that's better? It's still going on. I beat the sides of the amplifier. Still, the heartbeats continued. I tore the wires from connections. I smashed the contact microphone. With a bookend, I battered the amplifier box. And still, the heartbeats went on. Merle's heartbeats. Charlie, Charlie, what's wrong with you? You know what's wrong. You can hear it. I can't hear anything. You're lying. Oh, Charlie, wait a minute. You're acting crazy. I'm not crazy. I know what's going on. You have another contact microphone hidden somewhere. You're trying to work the same thing on me. Charlie. All the time you were pretending to be asleep. You planned all this, didn't Why, you? No. Well, I'm not Rosalie. You can't drive me crazy with noises. Charlie, wait a minute. Now, there isn't any noise. Charlie, stay away from me. Stay away. No, no, Of course, the so-called forces of justice never overtook me. Fowler was too clever for them. I now enjoy a position in the radio profession very much like that of Mr. Roachler before his death. Would you care to come into my control room with me while I rehearse my orchestra and my actors? Already cast, Fowler will now begin his rehearsal. Fowler insists on absolute attention to his directions. Maestro, how many times must Fowler demand that you artists... Stop whispering during dramatic scenes. Fowler cannot tolerate Mr. Fowler, this indifference Mr. Fowler, to the creative urge of the Mr. Fowler, if you don't stop this shouting, the doctor will lock you up in that little room again. You know that all this noise is very disturbing to the other patients. This is William Spear. Spear wants you to know that he hopes you have enjoyed tonight's little expose of backstage radio. 
I want to thank all our cast, Norman Lloyd, Mark Humboldt, Miss Lorene Tuttle, Clifton Cromwell, and thanks as always to Lud Gluskin, our conductor, Lucian Morrowick for his score, Burns Surrey for sound effects, and Ted Denton, our engineer. <laughs> I should like you to know, of course, that tonight's story was all in the spirit of fun and was completely fictional. There are no such characters among us producers as Kingsley Rochler and any resemblance to actual persons, etc., etc. So Spear says good night. Oh, and uh, you. Me? Uh, yes, sir. When you say uh, suspense is produced, edited, and directed by William Spear, I want a great deal more importance there. Those are the most vital words in the show. Yes, sir, Mr. Spear. Next Thursday, same time, Joan Loring will be your star of Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service. Okay, just as promised, the single most unusual episode of suspense ever. Really, really in the weeds there for radio listeners in 1945. Um, we have Dr. Joe Webb here, the suspense expert. Well, tell us more about this one. The jokes in here uh, of an inside nature are, are constant. Um, they even played jokes on the publicity staff and all the newspapers who carried the publicity because they had two actors in here who did not exist. Uh, Norman Lloyd, fine. Everybody knows Norman Lloyd, but they said there was an actor named Mark Humboldt. There was no such person uh, as Mark Humboldt. Uh, it, the person in the story is Jack Edwards. A lot of people know his uh, brother sam edwards from all the westerns but jack uh, westerns on cbs like gunsmoke and fort laramie and uh, frontier gentlemen and stuff like that but jack was a very very busy radio actor supporting player and he played charlie fowler but the publicity said mark humboldt there was another actor uh clifton cromwell that person did not exist uh also in some of the publicity that was actually Elliot Lewis a few years before he he became uh, the uh, producer of, of suspense but also his career was starting to blossom at that time um, Lorene Tuttle is in, in here as uh, Merle Fowler Bill Johnstone is in here uh, highly regarded uh, West Coast actor and uh, William Spear actually appears here as himself uh, but only using his last name. And in the script I have of the network version, you can see a much longer section of uh, William Spear interacting uh, with that. But uh, it's not often that Spear shows up and actually acts. And in this case, he was playing along with the, with the entire joke. 
Uh, so it's it's really interesting there. And then, of course, Burn Surrey is the uh, sound effects uh, technician, and he's he's just an interesting person overall in suspense history. But if if people go on to the Getty Images site, Getty Images is a stock photo uh repository and if you search for uh norman lloyd suspense uh some pictures will come up of the cast and i i still find it surprising that some none of the newspapers caught on when they were getting these photos that there were no pictures of mark humboldt or 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 uh, cromwell <laughs> so uh, but you can see burn surrey with all of the elect um microphones attached to his chest for the heartbeat. That's actually Surrey's heartbeat. Now, Surrey was interesting because while he was working at CBS and sound effects, he was also going into medical school and he did become an MD in the early to mid 1950s. As far as the reaction in the, in, in the trade press and also um, in, in newspapers that consumers or listeners might read uh they they still didn't get the joke even though they realized later on in their reports that a fast one was being pulled on it um i thought it was kind of interesting why did this appear in the summer as opposed to some other time of year and i think because listenership was lower in the summer i think they all figured they could be easier to get away with uh, doing some something like this and uh my suspicion from putting all of this together is that this was intended as one big party that uh you you read that the studio was filled with with people so they're they're probably all having the time of their lives laughing as they uh as they as the script is is played out and then just one one big uh, party uh, afterwards well i just can't imagine pulling this off that CBS would allow <laughs> something as, <laughs> as inside of a joke as this is to actually appear on a hugely popular big name radio show like this. It's really interesting that they got away with this. I noticed at one point during the show, they made reference to having 14 million listeners. Is that correct? Did suspense have 14 million listeners at one point? Oh, I, don't, I don't know the count of, of listeners, but uh, the biggest show consistently from, of a drama uh, was always Lux Radio Theater. And then usually in second place was Mr. District Attorney, believe it or not. Um, and then suspense was always, always at the top. So of the 14 million listeners, uh, you know, 10% of the, of the U.S. population at that time. Yeah, there's a good chance that that's what it was. I mean, suspense was at a real height of popularity at this time. Uh, the, the Roma budgets were working. They were attracting all of the very, very big Hollywood stars. And um, at near this point of, of, of the war, uh, where there's more optimism about the end of the war, more people listening and, and all that, I could, I could see them uh, doing this at that time and, and not getting any pushback. Okay. Well, even the 14 million listeners thing, even if that's remotely correct, that number dwarfs anything on television today. There is nothing oh, television on television has changed so nothing television on television has changed so dramatically. <laughs> nothing yes, on television would get 14 million listeners unless it was like yeah. Some like national catastrophe where everybody yeah. tuned in, but not for oh, a, not for a drama program or comedy program. 
when when you look at the the radio ratings for for shows like Jack Benny and and Fibber McGee at at this time, they're they're through the roof. And it was incredible uh, the amount of listenership uh, that those programs had, but uh, and that's why so many of the things that were on those shows became part of the culture, right? Um, be, because everyone was listening to uh, Jack Benny or or Fibber or whatever. That's why you could you could use the phrase Fibber McGee's closet to somebody years later after the show was off the air, and people would know exactly what that meant. Well, yeah, that's true. All right. Well, that was uh, that was definitely a change of pace, both for suspense and for the good old days of radio show too. That, yes. That's uh, very and unusual. I, I think that's one of those episodes where, if you listen to it a, a second and a third time, you start to really pick up a lot of other things that were going on. And, and uh, we're we're lucky that we we are in an era where you can actually listen to them two and three times. Uh, in a in a single sitting uh, to pick up those kinds of things, but this was the only time this was ever broadcast. Yeah, well, if you really want to <laughs> overdose, you could listen to it ten times. <laughs> listen to it as many <laughs> times as you want, and yes. tell all your friends, and confuse all your friends who have no no idea what old time radio is. You play them something like this, and they still will have no idea what old time radio is. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, all right. Um, Dr. Joe Webb, uh, thank you for your uh, great insights and uh, history on this particular program. I'm glad it got found, and I'm glad it exists, at least in an Armed Forces Radio version. Maybe, and I'll just speculate here, maybe someone uh, connected to Norman Lloyd uh, might want to check his closets or his garage or his basements or wherever he lived and see if perhaps he didn't have a copy of this from a network version because somebody's got one somewhere. Uh, something this weird and unusual and industry kind of insider stuff, uh, that's probably why it was missing from Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters because somebody just said, oh, I want that one and took it home. So it's out there somewhere. We just need to find it. We've got the AFRS version. Now we need to find the network version. Okay. This is John Tefteller in the good old days of radio show. Special guest, Dr. Joe Webb, author of the Suspense Companion book available from Amazon. We'll be back on Tuesday with comedy, drama, or variety, and back next Thursday with another great episode of Suspense, and Dr. Webb will be with us for that as well. Until then, this is John Tefteller saying goodbye. Goodbye.